Grab a Bible. Don't be shy if you need to get one of those. I appreciated Eric's prayer today about the hurricane. When I heard about the devastation that took place in Texas because of Hurricane Harvey, I said a prayer. I began to pray. I prayed um, for uh, the against the loss of life, I guess I should say. I prayed for first responders. Um, but I also prayed another prayer, and that is I prayed for the churches. Prayed for the churches. And I pray a prayer like this for the churches. I pray for them to have faith, love, courage, worship, ministry, and impact. That's a prayer that I pray in tough times. And the reason why I pray that prayer for the churches is because I believe that God has designed the church to be his living presence to bring hope and healing into a hurting world. I actually believe that with all my heart. So I pray. I'm praying again for Hurricane Irma as it approaches Florida. And I'm praying against the loss of life. I'm praying for first responders. I'm praying for those things. But I'm praying for the churches as well. Join with me in praying for God's church, for God's people, that there might be faith and love and courage and worship and ministry and impact. Pray that the church of Jesus Christ might be the living presence of God to bring hope and healing in a hurting world. Now, anytime things get rough in the world, anytime there's trouble in the world, I pray and I pray for the churches. You need to know this about me, all right? I pray for the churches. I do it all the time. And the worse things get, the more I pray for the churches. And things are getting pretty weird these days, aren't they? I mean, they're getting weird. When you have people, non-Christians, writing articles about the end of the world, you know. <laughs> things are getting weird. You know, with titles like this, no, it's not the apocalypse. And these aren't Christians. And I'm going, how would you know? <laughs> Where would you get your information? We have devastating fires all along the West Coast in, in, in a manner that we really haven't seen before. We have hurricanes. There's another one coming on the heels of Irma, right? Is it Jose? And it's like Category 5. It's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We had a major earthquake in Mexico. On top of that, we just had an eclipse. So <laughs> signs in the, in the sky. We have a photo of Kim Jong-un gleefully looking at a hydrogen bomb, which that's the photo that got me. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at this 33-year-old baby-faced despot with a hipster haircut <laughs> looking at a hydrogen bomb. And I'm going, this is really, really weird. And People are writing articles and saying this is not the end of the world. And yet, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists has moved the doomsday clock forward 
to 11.57 and a half, two and a half minutes to strike midnight. They adjust the, clock, the doomsday clock occasionally. As they look at the world, they look at what's happening, they look at how dangerous it is. And some people are saying, well, it's not the end of the world. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's the end of the world or not. But I know this. I know that we live in troubled times. I think we're living in a time, I'm telling you, in my lifetime, I feel like I'm entering into a time that's sort of unparalleled in terms of just the trouble, the angst. You know, maybe it's because of the news feeds. Maybe it's because we can check our news every five minutes or every 15 minutes and we see all these things over and over again. There's so much angst. And so what to do? And here's the answer. You need to pray. But I'm going to recommend something. I want to ask you to pray for the churches. Pray for the churches. I've been reading because Christopher and I are going to go to Myanmar in a couple of weeks, and we're going to go work with Noah Poom over there. Super excited about that. And yet Myanmar is in the news. So there's like 300,000 of the Rohingya people who is an Islamic group who's being persecuted and displaced. They're becoming refugees right now in Myanmar, and um, Aung San Suu Kyi, they're talking about taking away her Nobel Peace Prize because she's not doing enough about this. And so, again, I see trouble. It's like everywhere I look, I see trouble. What am I going to do? I'm going to pray for the churches. I'm going to pray for them that they might have love and faith and courage and worship and ministry and impact. And the reason I'm going to pray that prayer is because I deeply believe that the church is called and designed to be God's presence to bring healing and hope in a hurting world. Now today we're starting a new series and it's called Living Church. And we're excited about it because we've been working on this series for quite some time now. In fact, a year ago, Christopher and I went up to uh, Canada to uh, our retreat up there, and we spent a, a solid week just praying and pouring over Scripture and asking the question, what would it look like to build a living, healthy church? We came back and got in discussions with pastors and elders. What would it look like to build a living, healthy church? Went to Rwanda this summer, met with pastors over there and, and shared with them what God is showing us about how to build a living, healthy church. Came back, set up this sermon series, and it's more than a sermon series, it's really an event in the life of our church. For our whole church and all of our community groups and all of us to explore together, what would it look like to build a living, healthy church? So this is our new series, and... Um, I'm super excited about it. I hope that you are too. And as we start today, I want to ask you to do something. It's very simple. It's one thing that I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you over the next several months to pray with me. I want you to pray. And I want you to pray for, yeah, the churches in the world. That's awesome. But you know, what I'm really asking you now is I, I want you to pray for our church. I want you to pray for River West Church over the next few months. Pray that our church will become the kind of living, healthy church that God has called us to be. 
Pray for that. Pray that if indeed it's true that God has designed the church to be his living presence to bring hope and healing to the world, if that's actually true, then let's pray that we can be that church. That God will make us that church. That God will build that church in our midst. And I believe that as you pray, that we'll find that God is at work. Now let's go to the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, and I'm going to back up my claim right now. I'm up here making big claims. <laughs> some of you are scratching your heads going, man, you're just saying some giant stuff up there. The church is the living presence of God to bring hope and healing to the world. Wow, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big statement. Some of you say, you know, I spent some time in church. And that doesn't feel exactly right to me. <laughs> so I want to back up my claim. And I'm going to do it from the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us God's own incredible picture of the reality of the church. This is how God sees it. And I'm going to begin towards the end of the chapter. And then later we're going to back up and read more. But take a look at Ephesians 2 and verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now I'm backing up my claim. I'm doing it right here in Ephesians chapter 2. I didn't make this up. I didn't write it. It's in the Word of God. This is Scripture. This is my New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. He's giving them a sense of who they are. He's saying, this is your reality. He's saying, don't just look around at each other. Don't just look around at your meeting place. You need to look beyond that. You need to understand what God's point of view is. And Paul says, I'm telling you the truth about who you are as the church. And I love this phrase in verse 22. It's kind of the pinnacle of the whole thing. He says, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And he says, you are being built, designed, called to this reality that you would be the living presence of God in a hurting world. You are the temple of God, he says to them. I have no doubt that when he said that, when he wrote that, that it absolutely rocked their world. You know, in the ancient world, temples were a big thing. They were a big deal in the ancient world. Still are in some places in our world. But if we could travel back in time and we could get into the mindset of these people, we'd find that 
Temples were so big that, in fact, temples were sort of everything. I'm thinking of the temple of the Lord, of Yahweh, in Jerusalem. That temple that the Jews said in the time of Jesus took 46 years to build this thing. 46 years of continually building this thing. That temple that if you go today to Jerusalem and you look at what's called the Temple Mount, which is that flat area on top. Actually, the Dome of the Rock is up there right now and the Al-Aska Mosque is up there, which, of course, leads to quite a bit of controversy. But if you just look at that flattened out space of the temple grounds, it's the size of 12 soccer fields. It's huge. It's one of the most gigantic temple sites, if not the largest in the ancient world. And that temple was everything to those people because to them, that place represented the actual dwelling place of God, the actual presence of God in the world. Even to this day, many Jews, when they go there, you can hear them when you go to Jerusalem and you take the tunnel tour and you you get near the stones. You'll hear them talking about it. They'll say, this is as close as you can possibly come on the face of the earth to the very presence of God. It's a big deal. That's how they thought. Or you could go to Ephesus itself. In the book of Acts, chapter 19, it talks about the church at Ephesus when Paul went there and he preached the gospel and people came to Christ. And there's this temple there called the Temple of Artemis. It was called one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was supported by 90 columns, 45 feet tall. It was a massive structure, and in it, there's this gigantic statue of Artemis. And it was everything to them. It just meant everything to them. And to them, it represented the very presence of God in the world. And now I want you to think about this amazing passage in Ephesians 2, 21 and 22, in whom Christ, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What do you think they thought when they read that, you know, when they heard that? He says, no, 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 no. It's not this temple on the Temple Mount, as big and glorious as that is and as important as that has been in the history of Israel. So I'm telling you, you're the temple now. You are the presence of God through Christ in a hurting world. It's you. Or to the Ephesians, who would go to the Temple of Diana, and he says, I want you to know something. It's no longer about that temple. It's now you are the temple now. Okay, so what about us? And you say, well, temples aren't a big thing anymore. <laughs> okay, but I want you to think again about that. People long for a connection with God. People long for transcendence. People long for a spiritual reality that just goes beyond this material world. No matter how hard atheists, communists, and unbelievers have tried to stamp out faith in God in this world, they can never do it. 
They can't do it. It's like the balloon. You know, you squeeze here, it pops out somewhere else. Went over to Russia one time. I was over there ministering, and everywhere I went, you know what I found? The most superstitious people in the world. Superstitious. We were told, don't whistle. You should never whistle. My friend forgot he was whistling. He went into a building, he's whistling. I'm thinking, don't whistle. This lady, this babushka got up. I thought she was going to club him with her purse. She's screaming and yelling. We got the translation. She says, don't whistle because if, if I hear you whistling, all my money will be taken away from me. Now these people, okay, so this is like an atheist state, right? It's like there is no God. But everybody believes in a spiritual reality. Everybody's superstitious. Everybody believes there's some cosmic force at work. You just can't stamp it out in people's lives. It's what we're made for. It's what we hunger for. And you know what it actually is? It's the presence of God. Sometimes people come into our midst and they feel something. I love this. They walk into River West Church and they feel something. They'll tell me. They'll report to me. They'll say, I, I don't know what it was. I, I came into this worship service. I, I heard the word of God. You know, they might not call it the word of God. I heard you giving your lecture, they'll say. <laughs> you know, They don't even know how to say sermon. And, and they'll go, but I, I, I felt something that I've never felt. You go, that's so awesome. I love that. Some people will come and they'll say, I walked in and I just knew that God was there and I knew that I was home. Oh, you know how I love to hear that? <laughs> I just love to hear that. It's so great. Why? Because you know what? You are the temple. In Christ, this community together not only represents but actually embodies the living presence of God in a hurting world. And we're designed to bring hope and healing to that world through the gospel. You say, well, pastor, that's an outrageous claim. <laughs> that's just outrageous. Someone says, well, I've never felt that, that in my life, you know. Well, I don't know. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm telling you what the gospel says. And I'm telling you also what I believe. And I've seen it all over the world. I have a photo on here. It's the one about No Pooms Church. You can find that. This is one of my favorite photos of all time. This is a, a picture of the church. It's actually on the top of No Pooms house. We're going to be there soon. He told me the house is being eaten by termites. I'm a little nervous because this is upstairs on the second floor. I'm a little nervous about it, so pray for the church, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, I love this picture. Now, when you go to Myanmar, here's what you'll see. There's a pagoda photo there as well. You'll see across the landscape in Myanmar, pagodas everywhere. These are pagodas that you see, these buildings. And they're temples. And, and literally, they're everywhere. You drive down the road, you look over, there's one, there's one, there's one, there's one. They're everywhere. They're little temples or large temples. And it's because people are trying to connect with God, with something beyond themselves. And then go back to the photo of No Pooms Church. And, you know, what a joy it was to teach the people there from Ephesians 2. And you know what I told them? I said, you guys are the temple. You're the temple right here. This is where God is. This is where the gospel is. This is where the Holy Spirit is. I want you to believe that with all of your heart.
And I want us to believe that, and I want us to pray that in our church. Now, in order to pray this prayer, that we might be the living church, living healthy church, the church that God has designed us to be, we have to get the bigger picture so we can pray a good prayer. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Ephesians 2. We're going to broaden our scope a little bit. And I'm going to read you more things from Ephesians chapter 2 because I want you to understand the miracle of the church. So I believe that the church is a miracle. And Ephesians 2 describes that miracle really, really well. In order to understand God's view of the church and really the miracle of the church, I want you to do a little comparison and contrast between verse 1 and verse 22. If you have your Bible, you can look at it. If not, we'll put on the screen Ephesians 2 and verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, that's our starting place. I want you just to think and feel for a minute the difference between verse 1 and verse 22. You were dead in trespasses and sins. This picture, this portrait of a living church actually begins at the very lowest place. It starts like the entry point of the miracle of the church is a bunch of dead people. (laughs) Dead in sin and trespasses, he says. And then you chart a course and you go in Ephesians 2 from verse 1, dead in sin and trespasses, and you travel and you get all these picture, 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 picture of the miracle of the church, and you come to the end in chapter 2 and verse 22, and it says, you're a temple, you're being built together as the very dwelling place of God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that, can I think of like a radical contrast from 2.1 to 2.22, that's a huge, huge contrast. And that contrast describes the miracle that is the church. It's a portrait of the church as God sees the church, and it's a portrait in three parts. I'm going to give you the three parts, and I want you to know these so you can pray about them. Part number one of the portrait of a living church is the grace of Christ rescuing guilty men and women who are dead in sin. That's part number one of the portrait of a living church. It begins with God, through the grace of Christ, rescuing guilty men and women who are dead in sin. Let's go back to chapter 2 and verse 1, and we'll read six verses. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved 
and raised us up with him and seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for that. That's amazing. You know, the first three verses are, are so dark that when you read them, you might just lock up. You might go, really? It's that bad? Yeah, and he's making a point. He's making a point. What he's trying to do is he's trying to show us really the grace of God, the miracle of God's grace coming in to rescue a guilty sinner, to grant the gift of forgiveness and the gift of new life through the grace of Jesus. It is the first great gospel miracle. And it is the miracle of the living church. Now, I'm going to tell you something. God has done many amazing miracles in the life of River West Church. I can't even count them all. We started this church 28 years ago in a living room in Beaverton with a handful of people. And from that point to this point has been one miracle after another Miracles of provision, like people giving us church buildings and, you know, just amazing miracles of guidance. We didn't know what to do, and the Lord said, turn left and do this. It's just amazing. Miracles of healing. We've seen God heal people in our congregation. Miracles of impact. I've seen lots of miracles, but I want to tell you something. Not one of those miracles even begins to measure up to the miracle in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6. It is the miracle of God in grace coming to us in our guilt and sin and giving us the gift of forgiveness and the gift of new life in Christ. That is miracle number one of the living church. And we need to know that. We need to see that because we need to pray about these things. Unless each member of the church knows this miracle of grace in the gospel, then the church will be nothing more than a lifeless religious club or spiritual support group. A lot of people think that's what the church is. They walk in, they go, well, it's a here's the religious club. Here's my spiritual support group. And there's no miracle. And it's not a living church. If every member of River West Church knows the miracle of God's grace in the gospel, forgiving your sins and raising you up in the promise of new life, we become a living church. That's what we're praying about. It's a miracle. The miracle of the living church, portrait number two, is the portrait of of our unity in Christ because of the cross of Christ. Let's read about that. We're going to skip down a few verses. I'm going to read verse 11 through 18. So fasten your seatbelt and just follow along. 2.11, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now, in Christ 
Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, abolishing the law of commands expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, and so making peace. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now that whole section I just read is about the miracle of our unity in Christ because of the cross of Christ. And this is the second part of the portrait of a living church, the miracle of of the church. Now, Paul's writing to Jews and Gentiles, and these people don't get along. They just don't get along. Everything is separate. And it's not just outwardly, it's inwardly. It's how they think about the world. It's their worldview. It's how they approach life. It's everything. And they can't stand each other because of that. And he says, here's miracle number two of the gospel. That is that God takes these people who really don't belong together, and he puts them together. And where there is hatred, now there is peace. Now there is unity. It's a miracle of the gospel. That was the miracle in the first century. And God's been doing miracles ever since. Miracles of unity. In Rwanda, we have seen Hutus and Tutsis, genocide perpetrators and genocide survivors worshiping together in the same church in the name of Jesus, granting forgiveness and saying, we're actually one in Christ. That's, that's an astounding, astounding miracle. I heard a pastor from Beirut, Lebanon, he showed a video clip of a baptism. He says, you want to know who's in this picture? We have Shia Muslims. We have Sunni Muslims. We have Syrians and Lebanese of the two groups that were fighting with each other. And we have Christians. And we now have Muslims who are coming to Jesus to be baptized, and they're all in that same room. And he said to our group, he said, do you know that only the gospel of Christ could make that happen? And I went, that's yeah, a miracle. And it's electrifying because it's a picture of a living church, and that church is, is somehow becoming hope and healing to the world. That's what the gospel does. It's miracle number two. Part three of the portrait, part three of the miracle, is the temple. Now we come to the pinnacle moment, and he says, now, here's what's really going on. We'll, we'll go down to verse 21 and 22 again. He says, in whom, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now we come back to where we started. This is a living church. This is a miracle. This is God's design for us. This is God's calling for us. And here's to me what's 
so comforting. In verse 22, in him you also are being built together. I'm going to tell you as a pastor how much comfort I've taken in this phrase, being built. You know what that means? It means we're a work that's still in process. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Being built. It's a work that's still in process. Pardon our dust. Under construction, pardon our dust. One of my favorite memories, one of my favorite pictures of River West Church was the day that we moved from Green Tree into Lake Grove Church. And when we moved in, some of you will remember this, um, we hit some snags on the construction. Like the building was maybe going to fall down because <laughs> we had taken out a stage and we didn't know that actually anchored the building and we had to put some iron beams in and it was kind of stressful. And so we couldn't finish, but we had to move. So we put this gigantic sheet of plastic about two-thirds of the way down the room, covered it with plastic. On the other side, there's you know, a lift over there. There's like a hydraulic lift, some kind of a heister there is on the other side. And all this building material and some iron beams and you know, Maggie walking around praying, Lord, don't let the building fall down. Don't let the building fall down. And, uh, and there we were, and we walked into that building to have church, and it was awesome. And you know what was so cool? Nobody cared about any of that. No one looked at any of that. You know why they didn't? Because nobody knew where to sit. They're like, I don't have my regular chair. I'm freaking out. I don't know where to sit. It was so cool. Everyone was like, you know. And I just had this picture in my mind. Church under construction. It became for me a metaphor of our life together as a church. We're under construction. But what I guarantee to you today, I promise you today, is that God is at work. He is working. This is what God is doing in the world. You say, well, what's he doing in the world? I mean, we've got a hurricane. We've got a crazy guy in North Korea. We've got hydrogen bombs. We've got missiles. We've got all this stuff. What in the world is God doing in the world? I will tell you what he's doing. He's building his church. That's what he's doing. That's what he's working on anytime, 24 hours a day. You ask the question, I wonder what God's doing right now in the world, all over the world, and the answer will come back to you from Scripture. He's building his church. He's building a living church. He's taking men and women and bringing them to the miracle of the gospel, the grace of forgiveness and new life. He's taking those men and women and he's bringing them together and making them part of a new family, a new creation, where there's unity, where there never was unity before. That's what he's working on. You say, well, gosh, it doesn't feel that way, but he's working on it. This is what he's working on. And he's trying to take all that and mold it together and say, now this group of people will become my living presence to bring hope and healing in the world. That's what he's working on. Now, if that's true, my final question this morning is, what are we working on? What are we working on? See, that's the question. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray, Lord, help us to become the living church that you've actually called us to be. Will you please pray that prayer with me? Oh, but listen, one final thing. If you pray that prayer... You have to be willing to be the answer to that prayer. 
You have to be the answer to the prayer. What good is it? Oh, Lord, Lord, make the church like that. <laughs> it's like, but don't call on me. <laughs> Will you be the answer to the prayer? See, everybody wants to be a member of a living, healthy, vibrant, loving, impactful church that's changing the world. I mean, what's the alternative? I want to be part of a dead, you know, hateful, bitter church that's doing nothing. Like, no, nobody wants that. Don't you want to be part of a living, worshiping, you know, spirit-filled church that's having impact, where people are united uh, in Christ? Of course we want to be that church. Then my question is, what are you willing to do to make this church be the kind of church that you want to belong to? See, that's the question. What are we willing to do? And so what we're going to do over the next couple of months, really, is we're going to be breaking this down and looking at what are the parts of a living, healthy church? What are the traits of a living, healthy church? So that we know what we can do. How, how can we practice these things? How can we be the answer to the prayer and the, most, the thing that's most exciting to me in all of this, most exciting by far, is that God is building. God is building. I believe it with all my heart. I know the church is imperfect. I know we don't always get it right. I've become convinced in all my years of ministry, God is at work in his church. And I can tell you, God's at work in this church. And it's exciting. I'm glad to be a part of it. Would you pray with me? Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And thank you for your church. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the temple of God in this world. Your promises, Lord. Your calling, Lord. It's a privilege. Thank you for the miracle of the gospel, the miracle of grace, the miracle of Christian unity when we really live in the power of the cross. Thank you, Lord, for all of it. And we do pray now, Lord, that you will fulfill your promise and your word. Keep working in our midst, Lord. Keep molding us to be the community of Christ that you've designed us to be. May we be a place of your presence. May we be a place of hope and healing in a hurting world, Lord. No matter how dark it gets, Lord, until the final hour and the return of Christ, may we be that people of God that shines as a light in the world, Lord. Use these next months for that purpose, I pray. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.